Everybody's working for the weekend. It's the daily inside the Gamecocks. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Hope all you folks are enjoying a fantastic Friday, if you will, to use a little alliteration to get started here. Um, glad we rolled this out this week. Lots to talk about. First story uh, off the top, Kyle Krantz uh, has been promoted back. I guess promoted back would be a good term to use. Uh, to an on-the-field role. has been named special teams coordinator uh, at South Carolina, um, filling the position that Hulk Coleman Hutzler left. Sort of led to a shaking up of the defensive staff. Uh, Krantz, who coached Nichols and Sams uh, and kind of just assisted on the defense last year, he's going to go full-time in the secondary with Travaris Robinson and be the assistant secondary coach with Will Muschamp, who did coach the safeties with T-Rob, sliding in and coaching the inside linebackers. Uh, Muschamp's coached linebackers uh, a lot throughout his career. He's a heck of a linebackers coach. So um, I don't – you know, that's not a problem. Uh, I think maybe the safeties, uh, given the way they performed, could maybe use another voice or – I don't want to say a new voice because these aren't new coaches, but um, maybe that'll – help some of the mental aspect of it, although Muschamp's heavily involved in the defense, as we all know. Um, and, you know, Muschamp can coach linebackers. I mean, it's a, he has a long career, a uh, long history uh, of doing that uh, and doing it at a high level. And I think with the young players like Ernest Jones, uh, Jamar Brown, uh, Muhammad Kaba coming in, uh, that's pretty much a, uh, a good deal uh, for Will Muschamp. Uh, and, and for the, the program as a whole. As for Kyle Krantz coaching special teams, you know, the, the word on him that we get a lot is that the guy flat out knows football, knows schemes, knows coaching, um, you know, X's and O's part of it. The word savant has been used. Um, and, and it's hard when somebody's the Sams and Nichols coach, in my opinion, uh, to really understand that, uh, I think, because you're, you're kind of coaching a couple of positions that, you know, lots of times you don't even know where they're lining up on the field, if that's truly a nickel or truly a Sam or what the situation is. Um, but when he was a GA and, and he's been working under Muschamp for a while, you know, everybody universally respected his knowledge of the game. Uh, and that's the one thing about Kyle Krantz. He's a smart, smart coach. He knows his stuff. Um and he works hard in recruiting. Um, you know, got Muhammad Kaba in the boat last year. Sort of works the, you know, the the East Coast, uh, so to speak, which is not easy. Um, but you know, helps out making contact with with guys like Marshawn Lloyd and Vershawn Lee and Jakai Moore before that. So, you know, he's a guy that that I think when they moved him back off the field, it's kind of like the old saying, you know, well, last one in, first one out. Um, you know, because what, what are you going to do? Uh, if you want to bring in Joe Cox, if, if that's how you think it's best to improve your offensive football team and to improve your program, um, you know, and you're not going to get rid of Brian McClendon, which, you know, they weren't going to do that because Joe Cox could, could have come in and coached receivers or you could have moved Bentley to receivers and Cox could have coached the tight ends or whatever. Um you know, what What are you going to do? And, and you're sitting on defense 
with a guy that really doesn't coach a position or a spot in Kyle Krantz. He's new. Um, he can keep his salary the same. He wasn't making a whole lot and move him right off the field. Uh, no harm, no foul. Um, a lot of people called it a demotion. I, I, you know, if you're looking at the truest sense, yes. Uh, but I do not think it's spin, uh, nor is it intellectually dishonest of me to say I have a hard time thinking of that as a demotion. Um, it's just like the people that said Bobby Bentley was being demoted uh, because of running back, you know, moving from running backs to tight ends. That's not true. Um, you know, he, he was moved to another position so Will Muschamp could optimize uh, his offensive staff by bringing in Thomas Brown. Um, you know, and Bentley could coach another position. Thomas Brown can't. Um, you know, in this situation with Joe Cox, I mean, you know, you're not going to get rid of Bobby Bentley. He's one of your best recruiters. Been here all four years, familiar with the state, um, and did nothing to get fired last year because his position was actually one of the more productive tight end uh, positions catching the ball-wise in the SEC. You know, um, it's not his fault. You know, he wasn't calling the plays. <laughs> uh and, and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, you don't fire him. Um, you know, Joe Cox isn't an offensive line coach, you know. I, I, what do you do? Um, and so I, I think that, you know, the Krantz moving off the field thing was not what you would call a demotion. Now, I think getting the special teams coordinator title um, is, is a big move for him. Uh, I think that's a that's a big thing in his coaching career. Uh, I've heard the guy's really good X's and O's wise, and so we'll find out. You know, I, I think South Carolina special teams have been good. I'll also tell you that you know Coleman Hutzler and Will Muschamp kind of co-coached them, and Mike Peterson helped. Everybody helps on special teams. It's not you know just a one-man show most of the time at most programs. Um, and so we'll find out. I, I think you know Kyle Krantz. <laughs> Uh, it's a big step for him, and you know, given all the talk about how good he is, X's and O's wise, and, and things like that, you know, hey, it's uh, you know, special teams doesn't take like a genius uh, to to dial up a punt block or punt save or return or whatever. Um, but it is a chance to kind of showcase uh, what you can do, and and I think South Carolina special teams have been consistent, if anything, during Muschamp's four years as the head coach, and, and I think that, you know, as South Carolina looks to improve on the other two phases of the game, you know, offense and defense, I think it's important that they stay, you know, pretty much, you know, consistent. <laughs> uh, got two kickers coming in with this class, maybe in August, Kai Kroger, uh, a left-footed punter from Lake Forest, Illinois, which is north of Chicago. It's where the Chicago Bears used to have their practices back during the Ditka era. Um, sort of north Chicago, north of Evanston and all that, um, you know, he was interviewed and said, hey, you know, he was fine with Hutzler leaving. It doesn't affect his decision at all. Uh, and that's good because I think a left-footed punter can really make things interesting uh, at times. And, and you watch him on film and watch high school players trying to return his kicks, and it's just like, wow. You know, that's they're really struggling. That's high school players. Um, and as with anything, you know, once the word gets out that there's this left-footed kicker at South Carolina that you got to really adjust to, there's no telling how opponents are going to, 
you know, plan for that. But if it's front and center and they know they have to plan for it, most coaches will say, all right, here's what's going to happen this week on punt return. You got to do this, this, and this. And still, you know, until you go out and do it, it's it's still difficult. So uh, I think Kyle Kroger could come in and as long as he kicks the ball consistently in, in practice and stuff, he could be the starting punter this year. Gamecocks obviously lost one of the better punters they've ever had in Charlton. Um, and so, you know, you, you have that. And uh, then Mitch Jeter, the kicker out of North Carolina, is supposed to be really, really good. Uh, both of those guys interviewed uh, with Hale McGranahan of the Big Spur and said, ah, you know, their, their commitment's fine, even with Hustler losing – are leaving, um, and I think with Krantz being promoted there, you know, it's, it's kind of some continuity and stuff like that. So we'll see. You know, I, there was some, I guess, consternation and angst about, um, or is it angst and consternation <laughs> about that move? And you know, quite frankly, I, I, I understand. You know, hey, you got a coaching opening. Everybody's kind of like, oh wow. Well, Imagine the possibilities. Um, I think with Rodriguez Wilson sitting out at Kansas City, you know, in the AFC Championship game and an alum and a guy that's coached college ball in the state uh, and a guy that's a Gamecock, uh, I think that, you know, that's obviously something that a lot of fans would have liked to have seen happen. Some of the other names floated around, like Blake Gideon, obviously were guys that, you know, Blake Gideon had the number one special teams uh, statistically, I think, in the country when he was in Houston. And as a guy that Muschamp knows, he's an old mess now. But, you know, I, I get back to this too. Um, I, I, sometimes the best guy for the job is right there where you're at. Um, and I, 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 I'm going to say sometimes because I, I don't know that this particular football season – uh, does a trend make, okay, if that makes sense. But all four playoff coaches were internal commotion, uh, commotions, internal promotions. Lincoln Riley was OC under Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops retired. Lincoln Riley promoted to the head coaching job. Dabo Sweeney was the receivers coach under Tommy Bowden, as we all know. Tommy Bowden gets fired midseason. Dabo takes over as the interim. Ed Orgeron, D-line coach under Les Miles. Les Miles gets fired after, I think, two or three games, maybe one game in 2016. Uh, Orgeron takes over on the interim basis. Actually, it was it was after four games because uh, Orgeron went six and two uh, down the stretch. But, you know, Miles gets fired. Ed O steps in, gets named the head coach, wins the national championship this year. Um, am I miss? Oh yeah, Ryan Day uh, was actually an interim. So three of the you know three of these guys were interims. Riley was never the interim, but you know, three of the guys were interim. Ryan Day was the interim when Urban Meyer got suspended for three games. Goes three and zero. Urban hangs it up again. Ryan Day gets the job. Ohio State goes to the playoff. All five Power Five head coaches that won championships this year, because I'm going to throw Mario Cristobal in the mix, were internal promotions. Uh, Cristobal, of course, was the O-line coach under Willie Taggart for one year, and Taggart bolts for Florida State, and I think Oregon got the better end of that deal. Uh, Cristobal gets promoted, and he's uh, 
signing players out of California left and right that Southern Cal used to get, and he's got Oregon on the way back up, and they won the Pac-12 championship. Um, you know, even if Utah had won that and gone to the playoff, uh, Kyle Whittingham, way back in the day, was an internal promotion, uh, an assistant under Urban Meyer at Utah. When Urban went to Florida, Kyle got the job. He's been there ever since. So sometimes these internal promotions, we, 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 we look at it, and we look at the 0-4-8 oh, or whatever they did on the field, and we sneer and we and all that. But sometimes it ends up working out. And um, there's examples of that all over college football. Uh, and so, and this is not a head coaching promotion. Uh, this is an internal promotion. And, you know, on the other end of things, you know, obviously promoting Brian McClendon did not work out. Uh, so, I'll, I'll, for those of you who have the angst about this Kyle Krantz thing, I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, that sometimes it hasn't, hasn't worked out. You know, uh, under Will Muschamp, you know, the, the promotion from within. So we'll see what happens. But um, I'm excited for Kyle Krantz. I think he's a good person. I don't know him all that well. Um, but just from what I've heard and knowing people that know him, he's a hard worker. He's worked for everything he's gotten in his life um, and can coach the game of football, which is most important. Uh, you know, so we'll see. You know, this is a big step. You know, if he's going to be the special teams coordinator, get a coordinator title, all that good stuff, you know, that's a big step for him. Uh, I also do believe that, you know, while your special teams do have to be well coached, that, you know, 70% of it is having athletic depth on your roster. Um, You know, I'm talking about the coverage teams and the block teams and, you know, the ability to protect the punter and things like that. You know, I I think 70% of it is having the guys. You know, the athletes that you can put out there on special teams. And South Carolina does play some starters on special teams as well uh, to make things work. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, But I I do think that, uh, you know, that was the decision made right here before junior day uh, and right before the the dead period for recruiting ends. And I think that had something to do with it. I mean, I I know Will Muschamp puts a premium on recruiting – uh, I think the recruiting actually has been good at South Carolina. Um, in some instances, great in terms of the battles they've been able to win, especially the last two cycles. I, I pointed this out. You know, f- we have this thing on twenty four seven Sports where they rank the all time recruits. Now it's not all time. It's uh, you know you're not going to have the data to go back much further than say, the year 2000. Um, There were star ratings before then. There were rankings before then. But it's just, you know, (laughs) there's not an archive of it. And there wasn't multiple outlets ranking, et cetera. So it's based on composite, which which is pretty accurate going back to around 2000, right? And so so the top 20 of the modern recruiting era is what you'd call it. You know, five of those guys have been signed by Will Muschamp. Um, and five of them have come in the last two classes. And so, you know, I, I think that when you talk about recruiting, when you talk about them not losing a single guy, and there were guys other schools wanted. It wasn't like, hey, you know, you loaded up with a bunch of folks, the one-offer guys or whatever, and some of those one-offer guys do pan out. <laughs> I will point that out to you. Um but uh, 
you know, there, there wasn't even, even like a Trey Jones out of Abbeville, you know, Miami comes in, and I know Miami was doggone terrible this year. But, you know, if you're Miami, you know, sometimes you can – and you got a kid that's committed to a school that's maybe struggling, you bring him down for a visit, it's Miami. You know, you can, you can sometimes flip them. A lot of times you get guys flipped from Miami too, especially if they're – you know, natives of Miami. It's it's crazy how that dynamic has gone, but that's a subject for another day. Um, so you look at it, and you know, Trey Jones had Miami coming in on him. Um, you know, Alex Huntley and Jordan Birch obviously have not signed yet, but obviously nobody has slowed down recruiting those guys even to this day. Okay, um, you know, you had some schools behind the scenes. I can tell you, inquire about Luke Doty. I don't think anything serious ever kind of, you know, developed there. But you, you still had guys doing it. Obviously, Marshawn Lloyd uh, is a player that a lot of schools not only wanted, but felt like, oh, in the end, we'll get him. Um, you know, Georgia still doesn't have that second running back uh, in this class. Uh, Muhammad Kaba uh, kind of got hurt, but obviously NC State – uh, never gave up and also felt like even when he committed that it wasn't over. Tyshawn Wanamaker, Tennessee, all over that guy. Wanted to flip him. Um, you know, Dominic Hill took a visit to Oklahoma. They wanted him. You know, it goes on and on and on. Uh, and, you know, even a guy like Rico Powers, okay, let's, let's bring him up. He's signed. He hasn't enrolled, but he's signed. Um, and I'll throw, I'll throw Eric Shaw uh, into this and Joey Hunter into this as well. Um, those three tight, those, those those three guys, you know, Lane Kiffin, and we're going to talk about Lane Kiffin here in a second, is out at Ole Miss trying to put together a recruiting class. Uh, and it's hard for new coaches, very, very hard uh, because of the early signing. Well, you don't get those guys signed, you know, if they're wavering in the least, you know, all three of those guys fit the mold of players that Ole Miss would be bringing in this weekend because they're all good. You know, oh, they're committed to South Carolina. They were 4-8. and eight. Let's go see what we can get them out of Ole Miss. I mean, especially a kid like Shaw from Alabama. Auburn never really quit recruiting Shaw. You know, I know with big in-state schools sometimes, with a kid that goes out of state, there's, there's a question of a take or not. Um, I don't know if Auburn ever made up its mind. Obviously, Jaheim Bell was a player Oklahoma and Florida State wanted, even with the injury, uh, and was committed to Florida. You know, Joey Hunter, uh, Georgia and Tennessee messed around with him. I don't, like I said, I don't know if they had offers on the table. Oregon flew Makia Scott, defensive tackle from Gainesville, Georgia, uh, all the way out for a visit. Um, and so, you know, the point of all this is you look at this class and – you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, I call it the Richard Gear from an officer and a gentleman <laughs> uh, syndrome. I have nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to go. Um, that wasn't this case with this class. They had options. Obviously, they had options. Even Rashad Amos, Tennessee, offered him. So, you know, in looking at it, you have to say that, you know, while this staff – and I'll continue to call this past season inexcusable. So I don't think there's any excuse for going four and eight. Um, 
uh, you know, I, I think that uh, keeping this class together is, is is a reason why, you know, just for the future of the program, no matter who the coach ends up being down the road, that's a good reason why, you know, you kind of hold serve. And for Will Muschamp's sake, uh, because I do like Will Muschamp and I do think that he's a good guy, he does things the right way, um, he knows his stuff. I do feel he's unlucky, and sometimes uh, from a PR standpoint is his own worst enemy, and sometimes from, you know, an offensive standpoint, you know, he, the guys that he's trusted may, you know, have let him down. But uh, – and, and then there's some other thing. I mean, there's obviously a lot about Will Muschamp you can criticize, but I do think he's a good person. And even if he wasn't coaching at South Carolina, I would I would hope for the best for him. You know, I I, I really think he's an outstanding individual. Um, there's a lot of outstanding individuals though that you know don't make it. Larry Coker comes to mind. He's a great guy. Uh, take you back to Notre Dame before Lou Holtz, Jerry Faust, another super dude. You know, great guy, um, but just didn't. Uh, didn't make it. Now, there's some great guys that do make it. Frank Beamer <laughs> comes to mind. Great guy and was very successful. Um, and so it kind of takes all types. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I do think that, you know, the fact they did not lose anybody at all um, is pretty big. Pretty, pretty big. But there's still spots left in 2020. Like I said, the, the, the dead period is about to end. I think the dead period in January these days. I mean, it's just the 17th. It used to like the 10th used to be kind of the day. They'd have the convention. But with the national championship getting pushed back, which I hate, I didn't think we needed to wait two weeks. I, I, I thought we needed to, you know, fire that, bat, fire that bad boy up the Monday after – you know, the semi, you know, you do the semis on a Saturday, you know, and then you have a week to the next Saturday and fire that bad boy up the next Monday. Do it that way. Two weeks was ridiculous, I thought, you know, just in my opinion. At the same time, I'm talking about it as an analyst and, you know, a guy that, you know, covers the game or, or whatever. I'm not necessarily talking about it like a fan. Now, fans, you know, you talk to some Clemson people. Uh, obviously, it's a lot easier to go to Arizona and then New Orleans uh, with a week to kind of rest and save money than it is maybe to make that trip back-to-back. Um, and, and so I get that. LSU people, really all they had to do was drive or fly to Atlanta and then drive to the Big Easy, so that was obviously easy for them. So so I get it from you know fans attending the game standpoint, but I, I thought it lingered way too long this year, and uh, here we are with January is almost done, and we just completed the season. And I, I, don't know, I don't know if that feels right or not. I, I, you know, that's just me. Um, if you're going to expand the playoff, then I think at that point we need to start looking at a national championship game for college football the week before the Super Bowl because they, they're always going to take two weeks off. That Pro Bowl week, play the national championship game then, and you know we'll have playoff January just like we do in Pro Bowl. But anyway, that's, uh, that's just my stupid little opinion. So <laughs> who knows about that? But um, so anyway, dead period's over. Henry Parrish, and we've talked about Henry Parrish. I love talking about Henry Parrish, and you know why? Because he's dang good. 
Um, Marshawn Lloyd, very good back, elite running back prospect. Henry Parrish, I think, is one of those guys that, you know, you look at him and evaluate him 5'10", 183, 4'6". You know, you're like, ah, oh, you look at him, just look at his profile, eh, you know, probably, I don't know. Turn on the film, completely different story. Elite footwork. Um, my guy Keith says he reminds him of Ace Sanders, except he's bigger and a running back. Um, and I think what Keith meant by that, meant by that is that Ace had elite feet. Ace in a straight line, I think clocked at about four five nine four six one. Nobody would think that. You'd think when you watch Ace Sanders run, he's four three. But out of high school, he's about four six. But his feet were so quick, and he's like a dart, like a like a pinball. Um, and I think that's Henry Parrish. And, and you add to the fact that I think he's a physical runner between the tackles. Uh, I think that he's got great vision. Um, I, I understand why. You know, he's a guy that's going to be heavily recruited. Now, South Carolina, in good shape. Thomas Brown's been recruiting him well. <sighs> Visiting Ole Miss this weekend. Now, Ole Miss's running backs coach is a guy named Kevin Smith that was with Lane Kiffin at FAU. Kevin Smith uh, rushed for 47 yards against the Gamecocks in 2005. Uh, Steve Spurrier's first game as the Gamecocks head coach. I think he was a freshman then, but he ended up getting drafted and playing five years for the Detroit Lions. Uh, FAU has put some guys at the pros. Uh, he is a great recruiter of running backs, and he has a good relationship, as Thomas Brown does, with Henry Parrish. Ole Miss needs a recruiting win. I mentioned that earlier. You know, you're glad some of these guys are signed because – what they were going to do is raid other everybody, and that's what they're trying to do. Um, I I don't know. You know, I I I hate to sit there and doubt South Carolina staff as far as recruiting because I mentioned I outlined earlier why I think that they're you know pretty much elite uh, with regards to this effort this year and all they had to go through and overcome. Um, so that's number one, but number two. I also know those old Miss coaches are very good recruiters. I know that they're going to try to draw a contrast. And uh, I know that they just got there. South Carolina's in year four. Will Muschamp, you know, the hot seat list have not started coming out yet, but he's going to be on them. And that's just a fact of life. When you go four and eight in year four uh, and, and, you know, you weren't an overwhelmingly positive, fired-up hire for the job, the national media is going to, you know, they got to put somebody on the hot seat, right? Uh, and, you know, everybody else fired their coach in the SEC, except South Carolina and Vanderbilt. So that's what, that's that's the problem that you get. So they're going to preach stability. The only thing is, you know, this kid's from Miami. Um, and, you know, you got to think, Oxford versus Columbia. Um, and, and this works both ways. Sometimes kids that are from big cities love Columbia because it's just like the big city they grew up in. They're not really fired up about places like Oxford or Auburn or wherever um, because it's a little small, that type of thing. Then there's the opposite. They like the smaller town because it is different from where they're from. It kind of is a place they feel like they can go get away and kind of, you know, just be there and be cool and all that. So I don't know what Henry Parrish prefers. Uh, personally, I think that may not be a factor. I think it's going to come down to his relationship with Kevin Smith at Ole Miss 
and his relationship with Thomas Brown. And, you know, who does he feel more comfortable playing for? Uh, because it all, no matter what, comes down to comfort level, which is facilitated by relationships. 98% of all recruiting decisions. And people will say, well, some of them just come down to money. That's true. You don't think money influences comfort level? <laughs> I mean, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about this specific recruitment or anything specific, but you know, those of you that think that, oh, this player just got bought, well, yeah, you, you know, if you if you got some cash in the bank or a new car or whatever, you're going to be pretty comfortable, right? Uh, unless you're some guys. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've seen some cases of those guys documented over the years. But, uh, anyway, it's comfort level. It's facilitated by relationships. Uh, that's what it's going to come down to with Henry Parrish. And I, 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 I think South Carolina, if they can get Parrish, it's, it, it's, it's an icing on the cake kind of thing. At the same time, I do recognize there is a need. You know, there is a need for this guy. This guy can come in because you can't just rely on Marshawn Lloyd. What if Marshawn Lloyd twists an ankle? What if he has the infamous Demetrius Summers high ankle sprain? Remember that? Remember Demetrius ran for 161 yards, first game he really got going against Tennessee, and then, you know, uh, high ankle sprain, wasn't the same guy. Uh, Running backs get hurt. They get banged up. And – you know, you need more than one. And I don't, you know, I do think Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick have a shot. I think Rashad Amos is a kind of a sneaky good guy. Um, but I think Henry Parrish is, you know, prepared just like Lloyd, you know, to step in and take some snaps and play. I mean, I, I honestly, it, it, it would not shock me. Um, I'm not saying this would happen because I – I have a sneaky feeling Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick are going to take a step next year, especially Kevin Harris. But um, it would not shock me, though, if they don't, if Marshawn Lloyd and Henry Parrish, if the Gamecocks get him, are the, the number one and two backs. I mean, Mike Bobo – I think Mike Bobo has done this twice during his time at Georgia. You know, there's been a lot of true freshman backs uh, in his system that have come in and played well. You know, Isaiah Crowell comes to mind – um, of course, there was Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall that year. So I, I you know, I just think that uh, Parrish would be big uh, in terms of a potential impact for the 2020 season. Um, I also think if they miss on him, you do have the JUCO guy, Zakandre White. I, you know, I'm up in the air about him and his ultimate ability. Uh, I like him on film. Florida State moved him to running to linebacker. I mean, what what exactly was that all about? I mean, or is it were, were they just making mistakes? I don't know. You know, went to JUCO, looked pretty good. Uh, I know for the 2021 class, you got Teon Evans out there. You got you know a guy from Miami um, coming up this weekend for Junior Day, whose name escapes me, uh, who decommitted from Miami. Who's a four star, high level guy. Um, I I honestly believe that uh, you know they're going to be fine at running back, but look, this is a win next year type of situation. So if they miss on him, I don't know that I'm even messing around with Zakandre White unless you can count White towards 2021. 
Um, I think I'm hitting the JUCO grad tra- or the grad transfer market and seeing if there's anybody out there that can come in, hit the hole, you know, that's productive, that's maybe looking for, you know, maybe he's in a smaller school and wants to step up. You know, individual players, folks, that can happen. Don't don't just, uh, you know, like people went crazy about Nick Muse because he played for William and Mary. Don't 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 do that. You know, small school guys at certain, especially at certain positions, uh, can step in and, and really play at a high level. You know, there's small school guys all over the NFL. You know, when you're talking about an individual versus a group, um, it's a, it's a different story. So, I mean, you kind of look at it. You know, who's worked out better as a transfer? You know, Nick Muse, who was a, a nothing star or two star, who went to William and Mary. Uh, or Nick Harvey, who was a five-star, who went to Texas A&M and transferred in, you know. So that's just kind of that's just kind of one of those things. But I I would anticipate grad transfer running back market being unless there's another guy out there that they can go get for this class. Uh, but I can I would anticipate it being hit pretty hard, and they may hit it anyway if they find a guy. Um, because there's you know like I said it's very thin at running back. I think sometimes you need to be three or four deep at that spot, you know, to effectively have the guys. Um, and the Gamecocks have been, you know, you think about some of these seasons, think about 2017, Gamecocks won nine games. They couldn't run the ball well, but their players kept getting hurt. And think about the middle of that season. You got A.J. Turner, who was third team, first of the year coming in and helping you beat Tennessee and helping you beat Vanderbilt and helping you beat Florida. And Mon Denson helped you beat Florida and – you know, those guys were kind of on down the line. Uh, and because of injury, they had to go play. So that's just kind of my deal there. Junior day this weekend, Justice Boone, big D lineman from Sumter. Defensive linemen keep popping up in South Carolina for 2021, and I'm happy for that. Um, I knew there were some guys in the state. I, you know, just these days you find guys early, but I think South Carolina's a state that doesn't really get looked at a whole lot. Um, like it maybe should from some of the recruiting guys out there or, or, you know, that type of thing. And so I expect there to be probably not a a boatload, but more guys uh, popped up. Ingram Dawkins from Gaffney, he's visiting Tennessee this weekend. Another big defensive lineman got offered by Virginia Tech uh, recently. I think his stock is about to go up. Um, You know, and then we'll see if any new offers come out from junior day. Uh, for the in-state guys. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about Gunnar Stockton, uh, the 2022 quarterback out of state. All right, let's talk hoops. I hate with all of my being, all of my being, to call a game that's the fourth one in the conference season a must-win. Um, I hate doing that in February, for basketball. Basketball is not an undefeated sport. You lose games. Ask Kentucky. <laughs> it happens. You know, it's just one of those where you got to kind of, you know, win your share, play the right schedule, hit the formula, hit your stride at the right time, that type of thing. Unfortunately, at South Carolina, this year, because they've lost to Stetson and Boston University, and because they're sitting there at 9 and 7, uh, and because they lost the one, you know, dropped a tough one point game at Tennessee, 
This game at Texas A&M, which is also they're an eight and seven basketball team. They're two and two in the SEC. They beat Vanderbilt and they beat Ole Miss. Uh, lost a four point game to LSU and lost a ten, ten point game to Arkansas. You know, A&M is a team you need to beat. Their net ranking is not all that good. Um, I think it would still be a Q2, Q, maybe a Q3 loss. Q2 loss, I think. You can't afford that for your resume. You, you need to go and, and, and win. Um, Aggies, uh, like I said, they dropped 89-85 to LSU. That was kind of an atypical game for them. They, they don't really score a whole lot, but they did uh, on Tuesday night against the Bayou Bengals. Uh, who are good, but who I will not praise or talk about because I I can't believe Will Wade's still coaching there. <laughs> um, and I like LSU. I, I've never had a problem with LSU, but I'm just I'm shocked that guy still has a job. <laughs> uh, you know. Anyway, so he uh, they won they lost um, by four. Played them very tough. They play good defense. Buzz Williams is an outstanding basketball coach. Uh, I, I think that uh, they're looking at this just like the Gamecocks. You know, hey, if the Aggies, I'm saying, if they win, all of a sudden they're 3-2 and two in the league. That's their third league win. You know, they're keeping it above water. It's the first year for Buzz. Um, it's an important game for them. You know, South Carolina, since A&M has come in the league um, and they play every year, sometimes twice, they play twice this year, uh, Gamecocks are five and four uh, against the Aggies. They're two and three in College Station. South Carolina has won four out of the last five, uh, starting in 2015, 2016. It was now that that year Texas A&M won the SEC. Gamecocks in in what what the selection committee said was their only good win of a 25 win season. Um, beat the Aggies 81-78. Uh, the next year, the Final Four team beat Texas A&M by 11 at the Colonial Life Arena in a game I think was on CBS. Um, A&M in 2017-2018 out there, 80-63. to And then last year, South Carolina beat Texas A&M twice, 84-77 in Columbia. Uh, and then down the stretch, A&M had a lot of injuries, kind of like the Gamecocks. South Carolina won 71-54 to uh, in College Station. And, uh, again, this is, I think, this is one of two meetings between the Gamecocks and Aggies this year. Now, here's a, again, I'm going to get into more as to why this is important. Um, so, after this, Wednesday, the Gamecocks go to Auburn. And now Auburn lost to Alabama, first loss of the year, but they've only lost one. Uh, pretty good basketball team, Bruce Pearl. Now, now, South Carolina's had some success against Auburn over the years, but it's down there. And after going to the Final Four last year, see – uh, and I'm going to talk in a little bit about missed opportunities. Uh, Auburn has cashed in on – and they didn't lose as many players probably. South Carolina did after their Final Four run, but they got right back at it. Um, and they're right there, top ten team, that kind of thing. It's ESPNU or ESPN2. Next Saturday, Vanderbilt comes to town. Vanderbilt looks awful this year, and they've lost players and, you know – Eventually, they're going to probably win a conference game. But I watched them play a little against Arkansas. They didn't play terrible, but Arkansas just kind of toyed with them and won by 20. 
Then the, speaking of the Razorbacks, Gamecocks go out there. Musselman has the Razorbacks playing at a high level this year. Uh, they shoot the three. Um, that's that's the thing. They, they will knock it down on you. Um, then Missouri comes to town. Missouri beat Florida the other day. They're improved. Uh, and then you go at Ole Miss. Now, you know, obviously the Gamecocks are going to be underdogs at Auburn and probably at Arkansas. But those aren't unwinnable. Obviously, Vandy, Missouri, and at Ole Miss are not unwinnable. But obviously, I think with the exception of Vandy, where I think South Carolina will be a decided favorite, and you hate to even say it because decided favorite against Stetson and Boston U, um, you could lose all of them. You know, so, so you're looking at these next five after this one as, dang, it could, it could go south in a hurry or, you know, we could, we could be sitting here talking about, you know, net ratings and the month of February and, you know, winning the SEC. Um, if you lose Saturday and you go to one and three, because really, let's be honest, you know, winning all five, losing all five is probably not going to happen. You're probably going to be somewhere, you know, worst case, two and three, best case, four and one. So if you're two and two and you go four and one, then you're six and three, 14 and eight heading down the stretch with nine more games to play. And in the, in the toward the end there, there's some opportunity games like LSU coming to town, but, you know, then there's also games against like Georgia twice and you play A&M again. Um, a chance if you get to six and three, you know, to turn it into 13 and five, which I think 13 and five is going to get this team in the NCAA tournament. Uh, obviously it'd be helpful, you know, to get – more Q1 wins and things like that. So winning on the road obviously is a big deal too. Um, you go one and four, and you're sitting there at one and three. You're two and seven, and it slammed the door. It's over. You know, if you go one and four, but you're two and two, and you're three and six, it's close to being over. But you know, you can still have a chance to maybe get to the NIT, which I don't know that that is what the idea is uh, this year. Um, so for all those reasons, and then they, they play A&M again at home after they play at Ole Miss. Uh, for all those reasons, this Texas A&M game is massive. Uh, you know, you, you kind of look at it, and, and it's it's a team that, you know, I think I'm surprised they're not a little – they haven't won as much as, you know, maybe they, you thought – I thought Buzz Williams would go in there and win immediately, but it's a transition year for the Aggies. I think eventually he's going to win SEC titles and take the Aggies to the Final Four and all that because I think he's just a hell of a coach. But, you know, you just have to kind of kind of look at it. Like, I mean, you know, what uh, – <laughs> you know, it's an opportunity, you know, to, to win um, ball games, I think. And it's not – Texas A&M right now in the net, they're behind South Carolina. They're 124. Um, seven and two at home, uh, but 124 in the net. Um, have not played very many road games. They're one and one, 0 oh and four on a neutral court. Uh, so it's a Q2 um, kind of, uh, you know, Q2 win 
which is good. It's a road win, which when you're talking about the net, that matters a lot. Um, Q2 uh, on an away game is 76 to 135. So, I, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, it's just a gigantic, gigantic game uh, for South Carolina. Uh, obviously, the Auburn game on Wednesday – you know, presents a resume building type of opportunity. The Tigers are eleventh in the net rankings. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think that uh, it's you know, there, there's people out there that think, ah, oh, it's going to take fourteen, fifteen, and that's not the case. Uh, but obviously, things have to kind of break their way. I think Jermaine Cousinard, in, in getting to the subject I was going to talk about about missed opportunity. Um, that's kind of how I would describe the 2019-2020 athletic year so far for the Gamecocks. Going back to football, and, and this does relate to Jermaine Kusnar. You go on the road, so you struggle. You know, inexcusable loss to North Carolina. Lose to Alabama, some bright spots. Then what I thought was an inexcusable loss to Missouri just because of the way it happened. Um, your offense gets completely dominated, punked. Actually, I would say punked. Just because, you know, you, that's when the cluelessness of the offensive game plan uh, week in and week out started coming out. I'm like, wow, you know. Um, come back, thankfully beat Kentucky, and that was big because everybody was sick of losing to Kentucky. Then you go on the road and you beat Georgia. You know, and Georgia's part of the cabal. Everybody talks about Georgia, 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 you know. They went to the playoff. They went to the national championship game. They won the Rose Bowl. Kirby Smart, oh, my God, you know. You go and beat them in one of the biggest upsets of the year. And then there's a, there's an opportunity, you know. You got Florida, you got Tennessee. And you go and kind of get robbed of one against Florida, although for the second straight year, Todd Grantham ate Brian McClendon's lunch in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, who if if, that, if they'd have called that hold on the long run, I don't I don't know that the Gamecocks lose that game. But uh, anyway, you lost. All right, so you still have a chance to have a good season, and then you fall flat on your face in the second half against Tennessee, and you allow them to start major momentum, and they won six in a row. This is a team that lost to Georgia State and BYU at home to open the season and looked uncompetitive against Florida and other teams. You, you, you allow that team, that program, which you need to continue to not – you don't want them to find the groove they found in the 90s. You, Jeremy Pruitt said after they won the Gator Bowl, this will be the decade of the Vols. You don't want that to happen. And you've had every opportunity to prevent that from happening. By building your own program and by being, you know, by winning and competing in the East and, you know, all that. You know, they were down. Tennessee was way down. So you lose that game, which is inexcusable, um, and promptly finish 4-8. and eight. You beat Vanderbilt, but that's about it. Lose to App State. So missed op- opportunities, you know, just, just, just a, a glimmer of hope after the Kentucky and Georgia win. And then you miss opportunities. Well, let's go to basketball. Uh, a similar head-scratching start once you get to the Cancun tournament. The Boston U game was like, eh, you know. But you looked around the country, Ryder beat Kentucky. 
you know, teams sometimes do that. But you go down to Cancun, not competitive against Wichita State. State, which, by the way, Wichita is 17th in the net. They're pretty doggone good. Um, opportunity, though, against Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa's 37th in the net. So these are both Q1 losses. And wire to wire, they just beat you. And that shouldn't happen. Um, opportunity around the corner there against Houston at home. And at this point, I think people start to lose faith because you lose 76 56 to Houston at home. Uh, Houston's 44th in the net. They're 13 and 4. Good basketball team. But, you know, you lost by 20 at home when you had an opportunity for a big win. Um, so those three games in Boston, you and people are worried and upset and all that. Well, then you go to Clemson. Clemson's won twice in a row. They beat – no, actually, three in a row because they beat the Final Four team in Columbia. They won up at Little John the next year, and then they won in Columbia last year. Um, go on the road, and things kind of come together, 67-54. Double-digit win on the road against Clemson, uh, who was struggling at the time, but you know Clemson's now 73rd in the net. They've beaten Duke, North Carolina. North Carolina's – not all that good right now. Um, and so, you know, hey, good win. It's the arch rival. The, those games matter. Um, so then Virginia, you know, and, and Virginia's the defending national champ. Um, you know, they are a team that uh, has been really, really good for a long time. Uh, you go on the road in Charlottesville and lead it from opening tip till the end. Never let them up off the mat, respond to every run they made, and win it by double digits. Christmas break. Merry Christmas. So we all go into Christmas. Everybody's feeling good. Everybody's feeling good because the basketball team beat Virginia. Everybody's feeling good because five-star Jordan Birch committed to South Carolina. Everybody's happy. All right? Y'all's mood was happy. Everybody's happy. A little bit of pep in your step. Hey, things are turning around. So here's the opportunity. You have an opportunity to take care of business with Stetson at home and then get off to a good start in the SEC. And the bottom falls out against the Hatters. It was just an embarrassing disaster. Frank Martin's even said it. Uh, So Florida comes to town. I thought that was kind of a game where the Gamecocks, I don't want to say they didn't play hard, but they played lifeless in spurts. Didn't seem to have the confidence to get over the hump. Tennessee, I thought the Gamecocks played excellent defense. Couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Lost by a point. Just a bizarre play there at the end by A.J. Lawson running over the guy. Um, Could have stole one there. Uh, And then the Kentucky game, quite frankly, started in a similar manner. Um, Kentucky's up 13, 14 points. Second half, you're like, well, this is it. And then things started to change. Jermaine Kusnar starts hitting shots. T.J. Moss hits shots. Manaya hits a shot. Alonzo Frink's grabbing offensive rebounds. I mean, it's like a different team. Okay, so things come to life. Gamecocks hit a big shot at the end. Beat Kentucky. There's your momentum. Here's your opportunity. A loss at Texas A&M this Saturday means that it's a wasted opportunity. Because you lose at A&M, well, then you got to go do something else to keep above water. College basketball, getting into the NCAA tournament is all about, you know, keeping your head above water. I mentioned Virginia earlier. 
Virginia's three-game losing streak in the ACC. They're still 66th in the net. And, you know, they're 11-5 and five overall. You know, they turn it around, win some games. They're going to get in. Okay? I mean, it's just it's just one of those things. You know, Georgia sitting there at 57 in the net right now. Big win at Memphis earlier this year, that kind of thing. You know, they're, they're keeping it above water. When you lose to Stetson and Boston U, you know, those are your losses to, like, A&M on the road in the league. You know, th- th- those are your losses – like the, the losses in your conference on the road or whatever that, that inevitably are going to happen. And so that's what's really tough, you know, about how this team is sort of uh, uh, the position it's put itself in. Now, not saying it can't happen. Certainly not saying that, um, you know, they can't go beat A&M. And, you know, maybe they go on the road and beat all. Maybe this is, the, you know, Auburn started 15-0. Sometimes teams that are undefeated for a while – they hit us. They hit the skids, and like I said, Gamecocks have played well against Auburn over the years. Um, you know, you got Vandy, you got at Arkansas, you got Missouri, you got Ole Miss. Those are the next five after this one. You win this one, you know, the next five. Hey, you know, you, you got a shot. You've got some momentum. Put the the Stetson type performances behind you. You know, put the shooting performance against Tennessee. Gamecocks scored more points in the second half against Kentucky than they did the entire game at Tennessee. You know, they need that kind of effort. And and here's the thing, too. Back to Cousinard, this is an opportunity for him. You know, you can't just go out. And sometimes, and he's a redshirt freshman. He's a young player. Sometimes young players do this. You go out. You have a great game against a really good basketball team. You come out. You think you're un- invincible. You're jacking up shots. You know, you're, you're just kind of playing crazy. Uh, and then your team ends up getting its tail kicked. Um, well, they need Kusnard, Moss, Frank, those guys I just mentioned who were instrumental, Mania, uh in that win. I thought Jalen McCrary played really good too. They need those guys that, that stepped up against Kentucky because keep in mind, Mike Kotsar is on the bench most of the game, and A.J. Lawson did not have a good game. They need those guys that stepped up to continue to step up. They need A.J. Lawson to go back to being A.J. Lawson, get the sophomore slump done. Mike Coates already stay out of foul trouble. Um, and, look, I, I know Frank and, you know, Jair Bolden is a guy that didn't play, you know. Uh, but they need him. They need him to come in and nail some shots and score some points. Um, maybe they don't. I don't know. But uh, I do think that when you look at it, you know, this team, I've said all year, has pieces. They just need to come together. Uh, and I thought that was going to happen uh, after Virginia. Remember how good Jair Bolden was against Virginia? It seems like a long time ago. Um, but maybe it can happen now um, in SEC play. And three games into the SEC season, that's that's not, you know, that's, that's time. That's time enough for it to happen. So tip off 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, also, Lady Gamecocks, I know you guys don't – they're not called the Lady Gamecocks anymore, are they? I don't know. The women's basketball team, just to be PC. Uh, and I know some of you don't necessarily follow it. I don't talk about it a lot, you know, just because I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, but I know some of you hate the Missouri women's team and dislike the Missouri AD. I'm proud to say, if you missed the score, number one, South Carolina 78 – Missouri 45 last night in Columbia, Missouri. So, um, 
big win for Don Staley. I, I hope Don Staley never loses to them again. I, I think that, and I hope she runs up the score <laughs> after the comments that were made uh, from the Missouri AD every single time they play. And so that that happened there. I wanted to throw that in. Also, another sport that I don't really follow that closely, men's soccer, but I know a lot of you do like it. Mark Burson's going to coach one more year. He's going to coach the 2020 season, and then he's out. That was announced this week as well. John Whittle from the Bigspur.com. Obviously, he's all over soccer. Um, so if you're a member there, VIP member, feel free to go start a thread and ask Whittle about what it means, what where you think the program will go. He's the only men's soccer coach the Gamecocks have had. So um, an end of an era, so to speak. Uh, over there, so I want to throw those notes out there. But anyway, A and M tomorrow, Saturday, um, football junior day. You know, BigSpur.com, the BigSpur.com. We'll have plenty of updates uh, from some key targets for that particular recruiting cycle um, and the 2022 cycle. It's 2022. That sounds weird to say. Uh, you know, plus basketball and all that. You know, it should be a pretty good weekend of sports and kind of keeping up with things. Um, football NFL league championship games as well, uh, which will be certainly interesting to follow. Uh, we still have some football left, and I'm thankful for that. I don't know, you know, maybe a topic for next week with this daily thing could be an expanded playoff format. I don't know if – I don't know. It, it would seem weird to have college football right now, like at the semis or something right now, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, we'll see. All right, this is J.C. Sherbert. Thank you for tuning in to today's Inside the Gamecocks podcast daily. Um, Look for this. Again, I had fun doing it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week. Going to roll it back out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, And then Tony and I will come on the Wednesday big show. I don't know. I'm not going to call it the big show. The the expanded format deep dive, the one I do with a co-host. All right, J.C. Sherbert telling you, have a great weekend, all you Gamecocks out there. And we will holla at you soon.